Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. I want to propose two glorious experiences in the spiritual life. Number one is when you have that encounter for the first time with the living God and you call upon the Son of God and you invite him to be the Christ in your life, the Messiah, the Savior, and you humbly and meekly open up the core of your being for him to touch you. And he breathes, as it were, his spirit into you. And he makes you alive in him. And you experience this salvation, this forgiveness, this justification, this renewal of your inner man, this peace with God, this this fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And you know that you know that you know that you know you are begotten of God, beloved. Is that not the most glorious day in any person's life when you go from an old creation to a new creation and from a a person in sin to a person in the spirit and from a person in the flesh to a person that lives and moves and have your being now in God? Truly, there is just nothing that compares to that kind of individualistic experience. However, Even though we are saved as individuals and we can enjoy God now personally, there is this invitation for us to also be a part of others that have called upon the name of God in Christ and now live in the realm of the Spirit, in the kingdom. And we get to, as it were, link arms with other brothers and sisters. We may call them the community of the redeemed, the body of Christ, the people of God. In the New Testament, the ecclesia, or as we know it in English, the church, the church of God, the church of Christ. And it's this aspect of the body of Christ that can be the greatest blessing as this side of eternity, or for many potentially the greatest source of frustration. It turns out to be a blessing for those who jump into the body of Christ and function. And it often turns out to be a frustration for folk who just kind of have a spectator kind of a mindset, a feed me kind of a mindset, a club, and all of the myriad of things they may attach to it. I want to fellowship with you, albeit in a short and succinct way, regarding this thing we call church or the body of Christ. And I want to play a short clip for you that gives you a flavor of how I speak to the students who come to our ministry and how I implore them not to live the Christian life in a silo, but to find the field God would have them plow in and with others take uh, that plow and, and, and work and labor alongside others in 
this vineyard, in this field, in the house of God. This clip is short and it's just a introductory word to the students. But after this short message, I want to unpack it for you just a little bit more and tell you a couple of things that I have experienced um, as I've lived also in the body of Christ and linked shoulders with others and together in the field that God has entrusted to us, how we have plowed in this field and the mindset of the communal aspect of the spiritual life. Get into a community of people, whether it's two people or three people or 10, 100,000, it's really irrelevant. What is relevant is live the spiritual life with other people. Again, whether there are two or three, the Lord is present. Whether there are two or three thousand, the Lord is present. Whether you're in a cathedral, the Lord is present. Whether you're in a coffee shop or on the beach, the Lord just is present. So don't pursue vacuum spirituality. I lived in a monastery for one year. Um, and I learned about monasticism. Um, the desert fathers and all of the monks and nuns of bygone eras and they are saints. They are beautiful people. But you see, they never married. So we never got a second opinion as to what he is really like. <laughs> yeah. If I was single, I'd be a saint by now. According to me. <laughs> but you see, I'm married. So it's not what I think about my spiritual growth or my conforming to the person of Christ. Uh, don't ask a person, how have you grown spiritually? They're going to lie to you. That's what I do at least. Ask their wife, how has he grown spiritually? Could you, you keep quiet for a minute? Aha, now that is tough. So... All of us, including me, there, we have a personal walk with Jesus. We have a private walk with Jesus. Yes and amen. And there are things that the Lord has to do in a secret place in my heart and in my being. And it's unique to me. Yeah. But I would just say, as much as you get a mentor, an additional one person into your life, if at all possible, get another two or three or five or ten or twelve hundred. It doesn't really matter. But I notice young people that have a feed-me spirituality. That is, I go to that place um, so that they can feed me. I even go to legacy so I can get fed. Because about me, it's my spirituality, it's my growth. I, I get that. I get that. I get that. But I want to tell you, if you want to grow, beloved young man or young woman, uh, have a functioning mindset in the body of Christ, and not a feed-me mindset. Functioning. Rather, make your body and your talents and the person that you are, make yourself available to serve God's people. 
And if you're not in a place where there are God's people, then serve the people of the world. But either way, function. Instead of just living in a silo, in a closet, and there are seasons when the Lord withdraws us to the backside of the desert, that happens. Uh, Just about every man and woman of God that have ever been used publicly have had a season of intense private spiritual formation before God. I wish to God that all of you check into a monastery at one time and just go fall behind a bush somewhere for the next three months and, and learn to be secret and silent and private with God. But at one time or another, we got to come out from behind the bush, right? And live in this world publicly. So if you want to grow spiritually and continue to live and move and have your being in God, I would just say, find someone, an old lady, and serve her, an old man, and go cut his grass. Instead instead of just hanging out at Christian clubs, getting fed, why don't you take the food that you have been given and put it to practice and function? Yeah, but I'm not a preacher. I know that. That's why we're asking you to go cut the grass. (laughs) Well, I don't understand the Bible. I know. I I do. Let me teach it. I'll take care of it. You go wash somebody's dishes. My point is, in the book of Acts, there was a little bit of a a crisis in the first century church, that infant church, in that there were a lot of people in Jerusalem that were not as privileged as others. And so the Christians began to decide to share all things in common. And their hearts were really opened up to those that had less. But particularly there were some women that were widows that were... uh, more from a Greek culture than pure Jewish blood. And so there was a little bit of prejudice within that first century church in Jerusalem in that they took care more of the Jewish uh, old ladies than some of the Greek older ladies. And so there was neglect, there was oversight, a little bit of mismanagement. So they selected six deacons. A deacon, by the way, don't collect money at the service. A deacon... Diakonos is actually somebody that they chose there in Acts chapter 6 to serve the old people bread. They were pizza delivery boys, seven of them. They didn't collect money. They handed out money. They distributed. They weren't uh, receivers. They were givers. But here's the point that I want to make. Up until that time, the apostles are the only ones preaching and operating in signs and wonders and miracles and healings and the supernatural, if you will. But when these seven deacons began to serve these old people and take care of people's basic needs, bread, all of a sudden, Stephen becomes a martyr. All of a sudden, Philip becomes this evangelist, baptizes people, casts out devils, and then gets translated from the desert to Azotus. Just, he just was picked up by God. And, just, meep, meep. <laughs> and he experienced these supernatural things. And none of them started out because they had it all together spiritually. They started out functioning in the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, young person, uh, attend Christian meetings only so much. About once or twice a year, that's good for you. The rest of the year, just put into practice what you learn. Yeah? If you disagree, keep quiet. 
Yeah? Yes. Like three sermons a year is about all we can stomach as human beings. We're just not that smart to hear one every day. What if we've been doing it, Legacy? <laughs> My point is just at one time or another, stop feeding and start functioning. Amen? There's just so much that can be said about the church, or as it is rendered in the Greek language, ekklesia. And in the interest of just being concise, I want to fellowship with you just about this issue of the church as an organization versus an organism. Perhaps you've heard this before, but Allow me to just expand on this a little bit. And I want to do so by explaining for you the Greek origins of the word ekklesia, which is rendered in our English vernacular as church. Well, first, in the Greek culture of Jesus's day, when decisions had to be made or a new person had to be elected or a kind of a speech had to be given, Um, or a new administration had to be established and a new vote had to be cast and somebody had to be promoted or somebody had to be fired. They practiced this thing called ecclesia. This was their word. An announcement went out and certain sages or noblemen or dignitaries were alerted to a gathering that is about to take place. Then they left, as it were, that town or that village or that region, and they congregated for the purpose of organization. Some law had to be passed. Some new bridge had to be built. uh, The town clerk had to be fired. The accountant had to be promoted. Salaries had to be, let's say, discussed. And it was genuinely a meeting of, yeah, democracy and organization. And that was just the secular rendition of the word ecclesia. Uh, People were uh, called and then gathered to make certain decisions on behalf of everybody else. But when the Apostle Paul came along, there was not a lot of new vocabulary to describe the spiritual life and realities, and particularly the body of Jesus Christ. So Paul had to borrow from the culture of the day, and it may initially appear as though he's taking the concepts of the day and just, as it were, uh, reinterpreting it into Christianity. But I I don't think that's what happened, nor do I think that's exactly what Paul meant. What Paul meant when he used the word ecclesia is people are called out of sin and spiritual slavery and out of darkness and out of lostness into Christ. 
uh, not into an organization, but into a living person, the Son of God. Of course, he had to use a secular word to describe this calling out and coming in. But we did not come into Christ um, into a kind of a democracy. We didn't come into Christ to elect certain people, fire certain people, promote certain people, set up a kind of an organization and legislation and how are we going to clean up the town and how are we going to build this and destroy this and do this and don't do that. Paul had in mind that we're called out from our previous identity and into a new identity. We used to be Jewish or Gentile. Now we're the new man in Christ. We used to be male or female or free or slave or educated or barbaric or let's say rich or poor or maybe African or American or Asian. When Paul uses the word ecclesia, He's not trying to intonate that we're coming into an organization, a kind of a denomination, a kind of a club, a kind of a preference, a kind of a a doctrinal system. He had the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, at all times in the forefront of his spirituality and his explanation of the spiritual life. But it does take the light of the Holy Spirit a keen understanding, a transformed mind to see that Paul had an organism in mind where Christ is the head that supplies and nourishes and knits and unifies the whole body and where we are not, as it were, representatives of a town or a club or a denomination or a kind of a movement or a man and his ministry and his methods and his... We are the visible expression of Christ. That's it. That's what Paul had in mind. And I submit to you, that's how many early Christians lived. And they were trained in that mindset. Of course, there were others that didn't have a spiritual understanding of the church. And so they thought the church is the extension of Judaism. And Judaism has rules and laws and certain obligations. And so the church is just the Gentiles doing these Jewish things and living by these Jewish rules and laws and observances. And Paul did not have that in mind. And neither did Jesus Christ. So what is ecclesia essentially we are just the embodiment of christ on the earth just like the woman came out of the man back in the garden of eden and she was the enlargement of the man kind of his kind bone of his bone even so christ in a similar way came out of god the father and was the visible embodiment of God on this earth. And even so, the church is that. The church is the woman that came out of Adam. We are the women that, as it were, came out of Christ. And we are the embodiment of Christ. We're the visible expression and representation of Christ on the earth. So when people come into contact with me, they should sense Christ. 
They should not sense me as a denomination or a club or a kind of a movement or some kind of a sect or some kind of a cult. You know, historians define a cult as followers of a particular man, his message, his ministry, his movement, or his method. No, when people come in contact with me, they should somehow in their inner man get a sense that there is a God, and they should get a sense that God is good and beautiful. They should not just get a sense that um, a Republican or a Democrat from this political persuasion, from that dogmatic tradition, from this fundamentalist, conservative, progressive, slash liberal persuasion. When people get that sense from us and not the sense of Christ, then I believe we have missed it as the hands and feet of Jesus, the extension of Jesus, the kind of Jesus, uh, the embodiment of Jesus. Essentially, the church is not a meeting or a gathering for some kind of a lecture or sermon or some kind of a performance, as good as some of that genuinely is. The church is individuals called out to collectively represent one individual. We are individuals that, as it were, loses our individuality and we become the embodiment collectively of one individual and folk should get that sense from us now can we attend meetings but of course do we sing do we listen to sermons but of course of course of course of course but beloved, we are collectively under the headship of one person. And that is what church is all about. We are those who minister to Christ. So whether we sing or we listen or we eat, either way, Christ should sit at the center of the table. He should be the one to whom we minister just like they did back in Acts chapter 13. They ministered to the Lord. Of course, the Lord was invisible. He was seated in the heavenlies. Nevertheless, they gathered to love on him and minister to him. And I would say to you, that can happen with two or three people. That can happen with two or three thousand or by the hundreds of thousands. It can happen here, there, anywhere, inside, outside, in a car, in an airplane. We can be the body of Christ collectively ministering to the lover of our souls. Beloved, don't just be a spectator in a gathering where decisions are made and sermons are given. And uh, that's not what church is. You've been called out of your village of sin to plug into others, into the field of the kingdom of the heavens. And there, link arms and enjoy God in Christ and in spirit together. And that simplicity of 
the organism of the church is something that has just been lost over the decades and centuries and millennia of those of us that had a radical encounter with Jesus. So in this day and age, I just encourage you, enjoy God's people and keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is not some kind of a movement, some sect, some cult. The main thing is just Jesus, the Christ. He's always been the main thing. And if you gather in his name, you enjoy fellowship together in his name and together you're under his administration, his legislation, under his leading and headship. I'd say Paul would be very proud of us here in the modern times.